Welcome to another podcast for The Art of Relationships. Uh, I'm Chris Grace, and I'm here with Tim Muehlhoff, and we have an opportunity to talk to you about all things relationships. So we get questions all of the time from students, from uh, couples, and from others who say, I feel so compatible with this person. Yeah. We are so connected. It's almost like they complete me. It's almost as if I have found my soulmate. And then, of course, you have the others who are saying, man, I really love this person. I, I want to spend time with them. I want to be with them, but we have so many differences. And to be honest, there's not even really much of a spark there. And so the question for us today that I want to talk about is, what does it mean to be compatible? What does it mean to yeah. connect with somebody? And are there certain ways in which we really should make sure that we're compatible? Or are there some things that like, well, you know what, you have a different opinion about an interest or a hobby. That's not a big deal. You differ about faith. You're now going to be tr right. tr in trouble. So let's talk about that today. Yeah, we call it core compatibility. Because yeah. again, a couple doesn't have to line up on everything, yeah. right? I believe this, you believe this. I believe this, you believe this. No, but that core compatibility is the sweet spot of, of categories that yeah. you really have to be on the same page. And that's what we're going to explore today and give people language to this compatibility idea. Because we really do believe in it. We both of us would sign off on the fact, man, you have to be compatible when it comes to certain categories. You, yeah, I think what happens is everybody wants someone to. Right? You talked, uh, you mentioned this before, Tim. I think at times where you'll say, you ask your college students, and everybody wants to fall in love one day. That's something yeah. that they seek and yep. desire, right? Yep. We want somebody to kind of laugh with and share life with, who can listen to our doubts and celebrate our triumphs. And it seems as if evidence is coming out pretty clear that we're designed to do this. We're designed to connect with somebody. If only we can find that person with whom we are compatible and that shares that kind of right, important right. mixture, uh, uh, what, if only we could figure out what these traits are. So, you know, in my area of social psychology, there's clear evidence uh, that birds of a feather really do flock together. They seem when we find someone who's compatible with us, we're more likely to be attracted to that person, have greater intimacy, That's feel right. connected, That's right. have a great friendship, <laughs> and it makes for happy couples. Even a new study coming out uh, showing that it lowers our risk for divorce. So, you know, Tim, as you mentioned compatibility, here's what I want to want, uh, ask about. We, everybody, I think, realizes that there's a, a kind of empty compatibility, you know, that your stars align or right. we have the same birthday uh, kind of matches. <laughs> and those are never going to get, carry a relationship very far. But neither, uh, you know, I think will the idea of having similar interests or hobbies, because the problem is if your relationship is based upon something that you see in somebody's behavior or you have a similar interest or something like maybe this, you share a hobby, eventually those things can change and we would call those surface compatibilities, right? The surface compatibility isn't really going to be able to sustain this. So let's talk about some that really are what you call the core ones. Yeah, let me give you a for instance. So I dated a girl uh, all beginning of college, great athlete. It was really fun. We'd go play racquetball, and she would she'd give me a, a good game, and it mm. was and we'd I'd win some, she'd win some. What a blast yeah. to just go out and hit the ball around. Yep. Um, we both enjoyed uh, musicals. She was a big music fan, Les Mis, you mm. know, stuff like that. So th we're compatible there. Like mm -hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But is that enough to sustain it? Is there a deeper compatibility yep. that goes? Um, Deeper than that, like, yes. do you have similar convictions? Do you have similar goals? Yep. Uh, 
and then even how you relate to each other and things like that. So all of these things are incredibly important. And uh, we're going to break them up into three general categories. And those categories, Chris, would be what? That we yeah, kind of break them up. Well, I think we need to talk about uh, personal uh, personality compatibility, right? Yeah. Are your temperaments? And yeah. because really temperaments and personality traits, uh, while they may vary or change as time goes on, those can be fairly substantial and stable uh, as far as their impact. Another one I think we ought to talk about is, is there, it, it, it's kind of a notion called conflict compatibility. Yeah. And I, I'd like to hear a little bit of your thoughts on this. And then last probably the most significant one, uh, at least in our worlds that we've been talking with people about, is this notion of faith or spirituality compatibility. And, and, and so we'll talk about that. You know, before we leave that, though, Tim, there's one concern about compatibility, and you've mentioned it before. And that's that notion. You talk about elevators. You talk about romantic compatibility or chemistry or erotic compatibility. That is, people are saying things like, we feel so connected, oh, yeah. so yeah. designed, so it's almost yeah. like a manic state of passion. And you see these kinds of things show up in romantic movies and comedies. But man, that kind of compatibility has got some problems to it. Well, it does. It puts you on a roller coaster throughout the marriage, uh, throughout the relationship. And, and add to that, Chris, that that many couples today choose to be uh, sexually active before they get married. And that can feed into this idea, hey, we're compatible, man. I mean, things are great. I yep. feel very, very intimate with you on a physical, sexual level. Um, but that kind of ca- compatibility can actually hide the fact that you're not compatible in other mm-hmm. kind of areas. Mm-hmm. So again, this up and down roller coaster kind of relationship uh, that people can tend to get on, you have to ask yourself the question, if that's your future, are you content with that? Mm. I like one psychologist who said, your future is right now. Yeah. You are seeing your future. So if you're if you're this roller coaster of erotic feelings towards each other, spurred on by pop culture, uh, augmented by sexual intimacy, um, man, be very careful that that may be clouding you to other forms, what we would say are more important forms of compatibility. Oh, yeah, that's great. And what about the opposite of that. So someone who says to you, for example, I know this person is good. They, they have such good qualities. They, they, they're such a you know, great Christian. We, we have similar interests. I just, there's just not a spark there. There's not the romance oh, there. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how you'd answer it. I guess, you know, a person recently asked me that. Uh, and, I, you know, my answer was, look, I think some of these things could take some time to develop. It's okay to see if they have mm-hmm. develop over time, continue to invest in the friendship. If you like this person, you like hanging out with them. There's a lot of other areas of compatibility. Sometimes that chemistry and spark will come along, but there will come a day when that had better be there before you take it much further, because who would want to be in a relationship in which the other person doesn't feel that spark towards you? After a while, you'd be like, well, I'm really glad that you like all my other qualities, but you don't feel strongly attracted to me, right? That's right. And let me borrow a page from your field, psychology. Uh, in Calm Theory, we talk about snap judgments. Yeah. So I meet a person and I immediately make a judgment. Boom. Yeah. Uh, I make a judgment, intelligent, unintelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, funny, not funny. Yeah. And the one snap judgment we tend to make so quickly is romantically inclined, uh, not romantically yeah, inclined. Yeah. So I immediately look at you and I say, okay, I think we could be friends mm-hmm. or there's a romantic spark. And what we're saying is be very careful about that. Um, friendship, remember the Song of Solomon, mm-hmm. uh, the bride says, this is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. So yeah. if, it, if the spark's not there initially, 
hey, give it time to breathe. Give that's it time right. to move. And conversely, man, if that spark is there, like immediately, mm-hmm. be very uh, leery that that spark mm-hmm. can maintain its intensity. So again, don't be so quick to put people in categories. Um, <laughs> allow the relationship to move slowly if yeah. that spark's going to continue. Or if you feel like there's no spark, give it time. Don't force anything. Yep. Yep. But give it time to breathe and germinate. Uh, Noreen and I became really good friends um, first because she had ended a relationship. And when she got to where I worked, Miami of Ohio University, uh, she said, hey, I'm not interested in a relationship, man. I just came off for a relationship. So we were forced to work on the friendship. We lived next to each other in an apartment complex. Man, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then one day she saw me in a muscle shirt and boom, (laughs) spark. That's my interpretation. I'll be fair. That's my interpretation of how it went. Um, so let's get into. Uh, thanks for sharing that. I have a mental image now that I'm trying to avoid, but let's go with this one. Um, in uh, b- before we dive into the, the 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 three, I think that are most important and most core. It's clear that people need to have a compatibility in a friendship area, right? They have to yes, feel yeah, yeah. that they trust the other person. Yep. They're comfortable around them. They're vulnerable. There's an Some, ease to it. Yes. Yeah. So, for example, romantic compatibility. Uh, have you ever read that book? It's a short book, but boy, if it's not in your uh, relationships library, it really needs to be. It's called Love Languages uh, yeah. by Gary Stanley. Uh, Gary Chapman. Oh, Gary Chapman. That's right. Uh, so, in it, he basically says there's four different kind of love languages, generally speaking, right? And maybe it's an oversimplification, but hey, it's great categories. One is acts of service. Mm-hmm. One are gifts. Words of affirmation and physical touch. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean, when we're saying compatibility, it doesn't mean that both me and Noreen needs to be words of affirmation. We're not saying that. But we are saying, and, and, and just to show you a little bit about our marriage, Noreen is absolutely, and oh, I have prayed that she'd be cured from this. It's acts of service. What a bummer. Nor- emptying the dishwasher is a sign of romantic love. To that woman, I begged her to get help, <laughs> right? But it's acts of service, mine, words of affirmation. So one could yeah. say, oh, well, you guys aren't compatible. No, mm. no, no. Compatibility is, can I speak her love language? Yeah. Am I willing to speak her love language? Yeah. If, if, if it's just impossible for me to do home projects, yeah. then I would say you're incompatible. If yeah. Noreen's like, honey, I'm sorry, I'm just not a words of affirmation person. Yeah. Okay, then you're incompatible. But not if you appreciate each other's love languages yeah. and you learn to become conversant in each other's love languages. And I think that is the key, right? I mean, we we stay open. We, we challenge ourselves to learn to appreciate, to learn to change, but to see it from a different person's perspective. And that could be, that could make all the difference. So someone who is able to do that we would say, yeah, you have a great ability to overcome some of these things. Say, and then, the, yeah, oh, then there's one personality compatibility, yeah. right? This is all in the first category. So what, what do we mean by personality compatibility? It means this. Uh, so I was a theater major at Eastern Michigan University, right? And I love the arts. It was great. But, but it, it can tend to attract people, right? The arts are filled with this, mm-hmm. who people are really high, really low. When they're high, it's like Robin Williams, right? Who would be the center of every party, a stand-up comic, unbelievably talented guy could fill an auditorium. But when he crashed, when he Mm. was low, his Mm -hmm. low was low. So personality compatibility is this. Noreen has often said to me, and I totally agree with her, honey, if you were a a traditional theater person Mm -hmm. that had massive highs and massive lows, I I wouldn't have been attracted to you. Mm -hmm. By the way, 
I wouldn't be attracted to a person who is really high low. What I love about Noreen is not that she doesn't have good bad days, of course, but she's fairly steady. And I I need that steadiness, right? That's what we mean by personality compatibility. Yeah, I I think that's right, Tim. There are some key strong characteristics of personality, somebody who's shy versus outgoing. You're not going to, you're pretty much, you know, science shows you're probably going to be born with a lot of those tendencies. It's not going to change much. You might have kind of this kind of careful, maybe organized way about you. Um, but here's the interesting thing when it comes to personality compatibility that I think a lot of psychologists are finding, and that is some people are attracted to someone who's just like them, and other people are attracted right. to someone who's right. just the opposite. So there really isn't a whole lot of you know ways that we can say to a person, wow, you are designed perfectly for this person based upon personality because it can go all over the map. What I think you hit was the key, and that is... How well am I willing to flex? How well am I willing to grow and to learn? And how well do I know my own personality strengths and weaknesses? And don't buy into the lie of Hollywood. How many times have you heard this Hollywood motif? She's a wallflower. She's the shyest person in the room. And yet I, because of my love for her, I take her dorky glasses off. I give her this redo hairstyle. And suddenly she is this, right, unbelievable person who... Now, what's wrong with that is... I enter the relationship thinking, hey, you're a wallflower right now. Mm. I'm going to fundamentally change your personality. It's the same thing with this bad boy image thing that's insane is, hey, you're a bad boy. You're a bad guy, but I'm going to tame you. I'm going to bring out the good in you. Man, you... I, I like what Marlene Dietrich said. She was an actress uh, in the 50s. She said, the only time you get to change a man is when he's a baby, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you cannot walk into this relationship saying, yep. I, 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 your personality is such, yep. and I'm banking on the fact I can fundamentally change your personality. Yep. That's just not going to happen. No, it's not. And you better get used to the, ver- the fact that um, you are going to live with the person who most likely will not change. That's and right. are you willing to that's live right. with that? Yeah, that's why I think a lot of experts say that measures of personality don't predict much in this area. So. And remember, we, we read a book together. Uh, Chris and I are in a marriage group. We're, we're going to talk about that. We're going to do a whole podcast one day on the importance of doing this in community and what yep. a marriage group even looks like, right? right? But we read a book by a psychologist on happiness. Yep. Remember, she she said there was a set point for happiness, yep. that, that all of us have a set point. Now, obviously, if you win the lotto, your set point for happiness is going to spike, right? But she says it's going to come back to that set level, mm. right? You can hear really bad news and guess right. what? It's going to go down. Yep. It's going to come back up to that set level. Yep. She made the wild comment that that is genetically set yep. and your happiness set point is not fundamentally going to change. So, Chris, my goodness, before you commit to a person the rest of your life, Mm. know where their happiness set point is and can you live with the set point not the variations going up or down no i think that's great advice for somebody who's trying to look at and make a decision about how much and how compatible they feel with someone based upon those kinds of things like temperaments and traits so let's get to what i think are probably the two biggest and most important ones uh in compatibility if there were a, a couple who were coming to me and talking about concerns about compatibility or what are the biggest areas. I'm going to tell them I think there's two things they need to look for, and these had better find them matching up um, in compatibility. And that's in the area of conflict, yep. uh, the way we view conflict. So we can call that conflict compatibility. And then we'll talk about faith and spiritual compatibility. So let's talk, Tim, about conflict compatibility. And we know there's no completely compatible couples, right? We all disagree. And, right. and research has found that every couple, 
everywhere is going to disagree to one degree or another about money or sex or kids or time. Uh, the way, but the key almost always seems to be the way you manage those differences. That's right. And so I think people initially need to be really careful of the myth that conflict equals broken, right? Oh, we have conflict and therefore we must not have been compatible. What I thought was this person completes me. I thought, oh, here it is, my soulmate. And now it just takes yeah. a little bit of uncovering, a little bit of life to go, wait a minute, we've got conflict. And people buy into that myth that conflict means broken, but really truly compatible relationships um, are going to have problems and it's not always going to be harmonious and they need to be careful of that myth. Boy, that's a great point, Chris. But here's where I think um, we blow it the most with couples who are thinking about getting married. Okay, so mm-hmm. grab any married couple and talk to them about conflict and they're going to say exactly what you just said. Man, conflict is just reality. Yeah. It just happens, yeah. right? But talk to a couple who's thinking about getting married. Mm-hmm. So we do premarital counseling. You guys do it as well. So we sit with a couple who wants to get married, right? And yeah. they're going to get, they're engaged, right? And so we say to them two different things. One, make a list right now of five things you love about a person, three things you know are already a question mark. They're a yellow light. Mm-hmm. Here's the second question. And this is where they really struggle. Describe for me an argument you've had and how you managed it. Managed it, Chris. I cannot tell you how many couples have sat across from us and said we, we have, d- no have not had a conflict. Yeah. So you know what we say to them? No, this is kind of radical. I don't know if you agree with this. Here's what we say: You are not ready to get married. Mm-hmm. If you've not had a significant, and I'm not saying, oh, I wanted a vente and you got me, right? No, we're talking an argument, a disagreement, Mm -hmm. because guys, that's going to be part of your reality when you get married. And if you've Mm -hmm. not had a trial run when it comes to conflict, who knows if you're compatible when it comes to conflict management styles? Yeah. I I, I think what you're getting at, Tim, is it it isn't controversial, but I think what does is it takes some people by surprise because they kind of bought into this myth that we are so alike, we're so compatible, we're so close, and we just never argue. Right. And in right. reality, what's going to happen, I think what you're getting at is, well, listen, it is going to happen one day because you were just simply created uniquely and differently, yeah. right? David says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he goes on and describes yeah. how unique we really are. Yeah. Well, guess what? <laughs> we, yeah, as John Gottman one time said, I think in his studies, uh, that, that 69% of all... <laughs> yeah. (laughs) Couples uh, are going to, or 69% of people are going to have arguments that there is really no perpetual arguments that are perpetual because they don't agree on these things and it's going to come out eventually. So I think it's great teaching them how to do this. So I say to the men, right? The engaged men take leadership. As you're walking out of here, start an argument. Look at her and say, (laughs) you wore that, right? I mean, because it has to be a legitimate argument. And, And I'm just fearful, Chris, honestly, of couples who look at us and one, they either struggle to come up with those three things that there's kind of a yellow light. Yeah. And then I say, then what have you guys been talking about? What have you yeah. been interacting about? Go yeah. go find out what the question marks are. And second, guys, you can't get married unless you've had a disagreement of yeah. some kind and how you worked it out because that's part of your reality. I, I think that's the one that gets skipped the most. Yeah. And I would challenge uh, someone to say, listen, also for those that, that have at least, you know, uh, had an argument or had opportunity for conflict and have learned are learning how to navigate and manage that watch for some key important things right can are you able to manage your emotions during this time you That's know right. are, are you able to identify and you know or is it 
Is it easy for you to realize what's really going on behind the surface when someone orders you a vente, not a you know a large? <laughs> and are you able to kind of start to figure out? You know, this is really a kind of a theme I'm noticing that I feel when you do this that it's maybe disrespectful or you didn't listen to me or did. Though being able to identify that is one of the keys. So. And I have a friend of mine, uh, Tim Downs, who wrote a book called Fight Fair. Yeah. So as you're having this disagreement, yeah. man, your antennas should go up to say, hey, when I disagree with this person I'm engaged to, does he or she tend to fight unfair? Yeah. Like, like, do they get really sarcastic? Mm-hmm. Is there belittling happening? Or yeah. do I get punished by the silent treatment? Yep. Right? Hey, man, if that's coming in at the engaged level where you're getting a person's A game, A game, you better believe that's coming into your marriage. Yeah, and there's another great resource for you too, Fighting for Your Marriage. And there's even, yeah, it's a great book by Stanley and Markman and a couple of those guys out there. But Tim, there's one other area about compatibility and conflict that I want you to talk about just real briefly. And that is when there is a difference about conflict avoiders and conflict pursuers. Tell tell what that means and, and what you would talk to a couple about if that was the case for them. Yeah, some people naturally adopt what we call the exit strategy, which is the minute there's conflict. Uh, I avoid it. And, and by the way, the exit doesn't mean that I get up and walk out of the room, although that happens a ton. Yeah. The exit strategy can also be, I just emotionally shut down, right? I protect myself and I avoid conflict. Now, the problem with being an avoider is what we call latent conflict. It's, the, it's things that aren't addressed because I'm avoiding having the conflict for whatever reason. I might think we're a loser couple because we have an argument. I might think, well, I'm like my parents who argued all the time, so I don't want to be like them. But if you have an avoider, right, that's a real problem because John Gottman, uh, who we mentioned a lot on this program, Gottman would say, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, a person who stonewalls, right? A person mm-hmm. who gives you no emotion during an argument or just avoids any interaction and comes in this mm-hmm. defensive posture, mm-hmm. that's going to be really detrimental to having good, productive, fight fair conversations. So if you're, if you're dating an avoider and you cannot get this person to have a conflict, man, my antennas are up and I don't think you're ready to get married. Okay, Tim, here's what I want to do. I think what we need to do is spend a little bit more time on this topic of conflict. There is so much there to unpeel, to go through. Let's do that. Let's, in fact, have a a couple of talks on this because I really think couples – can be served best people anywhere. I mean, this could be conflict that you have in a, in a close relationship. It could be in a marriage, but it could also be at work. It could be with colleagues. It could be with friends. It could yeah. be with a parent to child. And we really want to dissect this. So let's, let's dive into that one soon here in a program and, and look forward to that one on conflict. But let me ask, and, and let's dive into this last one. And that is, uh, Tim, this idea uh, of couples that might be incompatible or have different views when it comes to spirituality or faith. Boy, now, huge. It is huge. If I think of all of these, this is probably the most critical for yeah. couples. There was a study done. There were about 24,000 couples that took part in a study uh, uh, in, back in 2005. Some researchers who were using some of the prepare and rich data. It's just a group of couples, and a, it's a way of studying people and looking at some premarital work. But they took a national survey of these almost 25,000 couples that were Christian. They were 50% were Protestant, maybe 15 or so Catholic percent, and then some 35% of various denominations. What they found was that the greater compatibility or agreement between couples on their spiritual beliefs, the more satisfied they were as couples. That's good. Here's the most – when they – this is the scary part of the couples that were spiritually incompatible 
82% of them said that they were unhappy in their relationship. And only 9% of the spiritually compatible couples said they were unhappy. And that that's a <clears throat> worrisome number when it comes to the way in which we see and connect to somebody at this very critical or what you call core way of compatibility. So let's break this down into three different subcategories if we're talking about spiritual compatibility. It seems to make sense to me to look at it this way. Are you compatible in practice, passion, and core beliefs, theological beliefs. So what do we mean by this? Let's tackle practice first. Um, I love liturgy. I love going to a church that has liturgy. Um, I love a full orchestra. I love a choir. Uh, I love a, a pastor who's not flashy, opens the word of God, right? And, and, I love the Lord and you love the Lord, but I love going to Saddleback. I love going to a popular church here in California. I love going to contemporary worship. I want to raise my hands. Right? right? Well, okay. In practice, you both love the same Lord. You both love God. Mm -hmm. But listen, you're going to have to find a church. And churches tend not to have super diverse styles. Yeah. So it could be high church, low church is what we, what we tend to call it. So in practice, right? And, and you've often referred to a book, that Chris, I think is really cool. It's written by a, a favorite author of ours, Gary Thomas. Yeah, Spiritual Temperaments. Yeah, right? tell, tell uh, listeners about that very quickly. Well, I think you can go online and even look up your spiritual temperament. Look up, you know, this Gary Thomas who has written a book. And, and really what it says is, is where do you find God? Where do you find feel closest to him. What are you doing when you feel his yeah. presence? Some people, my wife would say this, she feels his presence when she's walking on the beach, walking on the mountain, uh, you know, taking a hike. Anytime she's out in nature, she feels closest to God. I tend to feel closest to God when I'm reading a book that is just yeah. powerful in it. Let's say it's Dostoevsky and he's talking about some concept. I sense that God is there and present. So, or a Mielhoff book. Or a Mielhoff book. God is present. Either one of those, then, then I sense God. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a different feeling for me. That <laughs> fun God. <comes> fun God. <laughs> but nonetheless, I feel God. It's like, okay. But here's what we've learned, and that is neither of these are wrong. Some people feel the presence of God when they're serving others. And social justice causes, that's yep. where they know God. And I think what couple, we're different. We have different spiritual temperaments. Learning how to navigate those and going reading a book on the beach is really what we decided was decided was the best thing we could do as a, as a couple and go, let's go do that. And this is the same point we just made with the love languages, right? Yep. It doesn't mean that, that um, compatibility in practice means we always need to go to the beach yep. or we always need to read a book, but I can speak each other's language and yep. I don't mind being conversant in dual languages. I think that's important. The second one is passion. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't matter necessarily if you both know the Bible equally, right? right? What does matter is you both have the same level of passion for mm-hmm. the Lord, right? Yeah. So That's you good. don't want to be a person who is always having to drag the other person, hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's read the Bible. Hey, let's... Um, go to a soup kitchen and help because our church is doing it, right? So I'm talking about the same level with each other. Uh, Paul uses this interesting analogy in the scriptures of being yoked with each other. So imagine two oxen who have this wood that's like a collar over each oxen, and one oxen is always going faster than the other. You know what's going to happen in that situation, Chris? The fast oxen is going to slow down. 
The slower oxen is eventually going to pull that fast one back, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't drag the other oxen. Mm-hmm. That's what we see in marriages all the time. So I don't care if you know the Bible more than the other person, mm-hmm. right? One has a seminary degree, one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you both have the same passion towards the Lord. That's what I think needs to be compatible. I think that's great. Third one would be th- uh, theological beliefs. Yeah. And again, maybe maybe um, there might be disagreement between us on this. But yeah. um, so let me just use some terms and explain them very quickly. I think I think it's very difficult for an Arminian to marry a Calvinist. A Calvinist would believe that God ordains things; He orchestrates things. So if your child gets sick, right, uh, diagnosed with cancer, a Calvinist will tend to believe, "Hey, this didn't take God by surprise, and it didn't take Him by surprise because God orchestrated that to happen." And Arminian would say, no, 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 bad things happen in this world, right? God doesn't desire anybody has cancer. And in a crappy world, people get cancer. God grieves that this child got cancer. To me, a Calvinist and Arminian being married to each other, which God are you praying to? Mm-hmm. So, and we could add to that other beliefs like, do you believe the husband is the spiritual leader and that a woman is submit to the husband, yeah. right? Or do you believe that you're both co-leaders? Right. We call that complementarianism, egalitarianism, to use some complex theological words. But boy, I think you need to be on the same page when it comes to some of these deep, de- how much do are you committed to being a Calvinist? Mm-hmm. I'm a very committed Arminian, even though all of my seminary training was at Reformed Theological Seminary. I loved being there, great people. I just don't agree with them at the end of the day. I'm pretty passionately committed to Arminianism. It'd be hard to marry a person who's like, yeah, I, I tend not to view God that way. I think that'd be hard. I think what happens, Tim, is you end up, there are certain areas and certain key theological beliefs that you have that are going to be more important than others, right? That mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. become those yeah. cardinal traits yeah. within the yeah. central trait of spirituality. And some people say, I really don't have an opinion on any of that. And you find yourself compatible. And I think the problem is so long as you're, you know, almost yeah. equally yoked, so long as you have that same yeah. passion on this particular topic with someone, you're most likely not going to run into problems. So go back to the practice part we just talked yep. about. Okay. So if you're liturgy church, if you believe in high church, and it's not just your preference, right? But you believe this is how church needs to be done. That the problem with the American church is we've gotten away from liturgy. Okay, yeah. that's a pretty deep theological viewpoint. I'd be shocked if you could marry a person who's yeah. like, eh, I'd rather do Saddleback. Because yeah. no, that's not how you're phrased. It's not a preference, but a core belief. I think that's really uh, important. So a very controversial uh area of research came out recently that said this, while there are noted exceptions, right? We'd call them outliers, right? Noted exceptions. People mixing and matching simply don't work. And this is what they meant by that. People from different educational levels, right? So one person has a high school education, one person has a college education, generally speaking, doesn't work to match the two. One person comes from a family of great means and affluence. The other person doesn't, generally speaking, doesn't work. Noted exceptions, but generally speaking, you don't, it doesn't work to mix and match status, social position, and and things like that. It doesn't work, generally speaking, to take a Democrat and a Republican to make them married. Noted exceptions, right? So this core compatibility thing mm-hmm. is really powerful. And everybody and movies tell you, right? Um, the Titanic, 
right? Yeah. She's on the upper part of the boat because yeah. she, uh, Kate Winslet, because she's of money and influence. He's at the bottom of the boat, right? Le uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. But it's okay because their love is going to mm -hmm. get him through the Titanic. Yeah. Generally speaking, you're going to freeze to death in the water, yeah. right? And, and people hate to hear that yeah. because, no, my love can overcome any difference. And research tends not to suggest that. No, I think that's a great point. And it ends up being something that it kind of brings back, as we sum up here, Tim, I think this notion that um, compatibility is something to watch for in certain key areas. It, it's not the make or break in many ways, but indeed, uh, this idea of birds of a feather flocking together, that notion that there's a yeah, lot of right. need there. Right. So, you know, as we end this notion, by the way, of compatibility is one that's on a lot of people's minds. It, it really is a process, even if you are similar and even if you are exactly like in many of these other ways, compatibility is still something that you have to work at. You have to that's create right. it, right? It's a that's process. Right. It doesn't hinge on the stars. It doesn't hinge on having the same hobbies or and traits. It's, it's, it's so unromantic to say in some ways what we're saying yep. is so unromantic. Yep. No, I love the Titanic. Yep. I love, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. But listen, I'm sorry, research is research and we're not saying God can't overcome differences. Yep. We're not saying that there aren't exceptions to the rule, but everybody tends to think I'm the exception yep. to the rule. So we have the notion then that compatibility is something that you end up creating. Deep, influential, and lasting compatibility is a process. You work at it, and it's not this necessarily, Tim, as you were talking about, it's not something that is awesome and romantic and powerful, which are all good things, but they, it does take effort. It's something you negotiate in a relationship, and it develops and grows as you develop and grow. So... Only God completes us, right? No other human being can, t can do that. That's right. And it takes effort and time. So thanks for talking about compatibility with us. We'll talk to you next time as we uh, talk more about the art of relationships. Mm -hmm.